0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest joining me uh, via Zoom from Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada is my friend Craig Jones. Welcome to the podcast, Craig.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Craig is in his late 50s. He's married. He has three kids. He's an active Latter-day Saint. And Craig um, experienced a traumatic brain injury. He'll talk about that, and that's really the focus of this podcast is just Craig sharing his story. I'm going to hear it with you for the first time we've traded some messages, but perhaps this is helpful for those of you that have um, curveballs that occur in your life that are medical related and for those of you that have loved ones in your life that um, have significant medical challenges that in some ways change their life and so um We'll just let Craig tell his story. Thank you for being on the podcast, Craig. I'll turn it over to you.
1: Thank you very much. I want to share with you an account of a life-changing event that occurred. And not, it is not just a single event. But Paul, what is what made it remarkable? To explain, I need to start at the beginning. But that part has been wiped away from my memory. So I will read it to you in my wife's words. On December 1st, 2011, in the early morning, Craig awoke me. He had always ridden his bike to the transit station and then, then took public transit to work. But this time, he asked me if I, if I would drive him to the station. It was an unusual request, but I didn't question it. I got up and drove him, and we had a nice talk while we went. Hours later, I called him at work, something I never did, as I did not like to interrupt him, for I know he is busy. However, the hot water tank had broken, and I had wanted to tell him about it and give him some information that I had found about it before ordering anyone. We had a quick chat, chat we had a quick chat, and ended the conversation with "I love you." These two events were tender mercies, as it would be a long time before I would be, ever be able to speak to Craig again. Not long after that phone call, the phone rang again. I saw on the call display that it was Craig's work and assumed that he had been calling with some other thoughts regarding the hot water heater. However, it was another voice on the other end telling me that Craig had fallen and that the ambulance has been called. I wasn't really worried. I had pitch him flipping over something or hurting his arm or something fairly minor. I just asked to be informed which hospital he was going to so I could go and pick him up when he, was, when he had been treated. It wasn't until the second call that the word ladder was used and I became worried. We had just lost an acquaintance who had fallen off a ladder. I quickly made my way to the hospital and presented myself to the security, to the security desk as his protocol. When I told the security guard that I was there about Craig, he picked up the phone and spoke in some sort of, some sort of code. He then asked me to follow him and took me to a dreaded quiet room. I work at healthcare, and I know what happens when you're taken to the quiet room. This is a room where you're given bad news. The minutes waiting for someone to for the, the minutes waiting for someone were were terrible. I finally got an update. Taken to a room where Craig lay on the stretcher, he was intubated and on a ventilator, bruised and bloody. It was there where I learned the full scope of his injuries, including numerous broken bones. But most ominously, that there was a bleed in his brain, and that the neurosurgeon was on his way. When he arrived, he spoke to me about the gravity of, of his situation, that Craig's condition was very serious. Craig is whisked off surgery. I made a couple of phone calls prior, one couple of phone calls prior, one to a friend to arrange my children to be informed, and another to my mother to have the rest of the family. From there, the found out began, and soon, numerous people from a count and even count were praying for Craig. Then the wait began. Friends and family begun to arrive, and we waited together. The neurosurgeon finally appeared. After the first surgery, Craig had to be taken for another CAT scan, where it was discovered that he needed a second surgery. The surgeon felt that the surgery had gone well but warned us the next few days would be very rocky. And there, of course, was no guarantee of what the results would be. I don't want Sir to be, I don't want Sir to be a long account of medical details, but I feel the need to summarize what happened in the next few weeks. When my wife was told about my brain injury, she was told that the part of my brain most severely injured was that of which was responsible for my speech. So the doctor was not sure how it would be affected. Anyone who knows me knows I like to talk a lot. My wife could not imagine me without, being, with the, without the ability to speak. She often jokes that I have two parts of my brain responsible for talking. However, the next while, I remained silent and dependent on technology and medical staff for my every need. My family was there to support me. As a matter of fact, half of the ICU room was, we, was taken up by them. There were so many. After some very stressful days my fa- for my family, the time arrived that I could be extubated. I was still in an altered state mentally and could not communicate. My family was determined that I recover. My wife and my daughters and I had previously booked a trip to Maui at the, of, at the end of February. They decided amongst themselves that they would have me recovered enough by that time so that we could go on this trip as a form of celebration. When they they would mention this to the medical staff, they were told, no, that is not, that. no, that's far too soon. That is just not possible. To which my wife would respond, we can talk about this again later. When I had been stabilized enough to be transferred out of the ICU, I was sent to a neurotrauma unit. I was still in an altered state and, and a danger to myself. So I had to be put in restraints. I had someone assigned to just watch me and keep me safe. During the day, my family would take over. My wife would take off the restraints and watch me. Jody j- jokes, she became like a ninja. She, she would sense my every, all my movements and I could catch my arm in midair as I would try to make attempt to remove my feeding tube and other important attachments. My family would go home at night after making sure I was once again secured. But somehow, despite my restraints, I would manage to remove my feeding tube time and time again and lost a great deal of weight. The task was also to try to get me to talk. My family had been told that often the first words of someone with a brain injury were those who who had emotional attachments or family names or swear words. My wife began coaching me on family names while one of my daughters took upon herself to coach me. On swear words, much to my wife's dismay, they would, re- they would reintroduce, themselves, re- they reintroduce themselves to me every day when they arrived, looking for some sort of recognition, but my eyes just showed confusion. Finally the day came when I would occasionally repeat something. There was no consistency. My family continued, continued to coach me. My neurosurgeon would visit me on rounds, try to get me to say something, but I was always silent. One day, after failing to get any sort of verbal response from me, he said to my family, maybe he doesn't like me, in a joking way. According to my family, I looked at him and responded, Xing ching. He was confused at what I had said, and to the sudden verbal celebration of my family, anyone who knows me personally knows that Xing ching is a word that I use frequently, and, which my, and to which my brother says, and even he doesn't know what the heck it means. After that, I would occasionally say a word from prompted. Till one day, when the nurse came to see how I was, responded. I responded in a full, coherent sentence. And the family says, after, after that, I didn't shut up. My wife tells me that sometime after that, when she arrived in the morning, that I looked at her and said, Hi, honey. I haven't seen you in such a long time. She internally rejoiced. That I now know who she was and assured me that she'd been there every day. She could tell from some of the things I said that I'd lost a huge amount of memory and that I was asking questions about her apartment that we lived back in the 1980s. She also noticed that often, I often stared at my wrist with a puzzled look. Although I couldn't explain what was bothering me, she finally asked the doctors to x ray it. And it was discovered that the fracture was so severe that they felt necessary for me to have. A, be on call on surgery on Christmas Day. After a series of delays, and thanks to an amazing orthopedic surgeon, my arm was operated and pieced back together with plates and screws. The day after my surgery, the long-awaited spot opened for me in the rehabilitation hospital. My memory, my memory of it is very was is very spotty, but it was here that I started to started to be able to remember some of the things that were happening to me. At first, I required a wheelchair, as I was so and steady. And after a fall the first night, a special bed to keep me safe was and contained at night. I kept busy with physio, occupational, and speech therapy. And I met and socialized with many other people who had also suffered brain injuries in a variety of ways. I was also suffering from debility and vertigo. And after many corrective sessions, I was able to graduate from the, off the wheelchair from the wheelchair. My family continued to work with me. They had not given up on their goal. Finally the date date was set that I could be discharged from the hospital and continue with outpatient rehabilitation just a few days before the flight reservation to Maui that my family had not canceled. I was given permission by my doctor to go on the trip. I still had a long way to go, but this was a huge accomplishment. We had a wonderful trip. I was restricted in in, in things I could do, but was so grateful to go on this trip and spend time with my family in such a a beautiful environment after spending such a long time in a hospital setting. If the listeners could see it, I would show you a picture of me and my older daughter daughter, taking me by my arm as we walked down the trail at the Lavender Farm in Maui. It is very special to me. She was very protective of me, as were the rest of my family. Following our trip, my outpatient rehab began, building up on the strides that I had already made in the rehabilitation hospital. The focus was now getting me to the point that I could return to work. The staff knew that they had their work, work cut out for them. I had just seen I had just been given permission to, to remove the splint from my arm. So it had had no physiotherapy to that point. I had lost a great the I had lost a great deal of strength, both from the injury itself and long weeks of immobilization following the surgery. My physio team worked on this, as well as general strengthening. My occupational therapist worked on helping me with my cognitive impairments, helping me once again to to plan, organize, and multitask. There was a psychology department and they were there for me to sound off to. I had to come to terms with what had happened to me and the impact that it had in my life and and those around me. They helped me deal with feelings of loss and frustration. Speech therapy continued to help me help me with that area as well. After about five months full-time as a patient in rehab, the time came where we felt we could integrate and try to get me back into the workplace. My return to work was gradual. I started with two-hour shifts, two days a week, with a job coach to assist me. Besides this, I continued in rehab as I had been before. Apparently, the hope was to eventually get me back to work 20 hours per week. Due to some memory loss and other cognitive defects due to my brain injury, things were a little challenging at first. However, with the support of my managers and coworkers, as well as the assistance of my job coach, gave me the confidence to continue. Eventually, the hours of work increased. And after four to five months, the job coach was withdrawn. I was able to exceed the goals of my team and continue in my career. According to that, according to statistics that has been posted by Brain Injury Society of Toronto about the time I returned to work, the annual incidence of traumatic brain injury is greater than that of multiple sclerosis, spinal cord injury, HIV, AIDS, and breast cancer combined. Over 50,000 Canadians had, had sustained brain injuries each year. And the numbers were rising. It, it, it was the leading killer and disabler of Canadians under the age of 40. The fact that I'm speaking to you now, after suffering one of these injuries, I consider to me a miracle. The Brain Injury Association of Canada describes many effects of brain injury. The more common, common being change in memory, concentration, and response time, planning and problem solving initiative, flexibility, being able to control temper, speech, behavior, depression, and others. Each person is unique. Each suffered bearish, each suffers buried consequences. All need encouragement, understanding, positive feedback, communication, motivation, and best of all, loyal friends and family who are there through thick and thin. People have asked me many things about my experience with my brain injury and what I have learned. And it, if, I could, if I could undo it, would I? How have I coped with the changes? My father passed away suddenly, several years ago, before my accident. When my wife and I attended the funeral, we heard from many people about their association with him, what their last memory of him was. The thing that really amazed us, that not one person described described a negative memory of him. He always left people feeling good. He was a warm and loving man. His last evening with my mom was spent with a pleasant conversation and an impromptu dance together in the living room. There were no regrets. We determined at that time to try to be more like him, to never leave each other in a situation where we would, where we, where would be regret and try to do the same to others around us. I don't come close yet to this the way he was, but our attempt to live this way was a real blessing to us when I was injured. Our last conversation was pleasant and loving, and this really sustained my wife during the time when I was not able to communicate or even show any recognition of her. Sorry. I learned my family is amazing. My wife and my daughters were there from the first moment. They're my cheerleaders. My therapists, my teachers, they prayed for me, encouraged me, worked with me, celebrated my successes, and kicked my butt when it needed kicking. I didn't realize that these daughters as I had raised had such amazing qualities of strength. I learned that extended family and friends would be there when you need them. We had, so much, we had so much support in so many ways. Our sidewalks were magically shuffled when the snow fell. The Christmas lights were put up. The Christmas tree arrived one night, and shortly afterwards, it was decorated by some sweet Christmas angels in human form. Food would arrive at our doorstep. Many calls were made, and offers continued. It was such a blessing. Would I undo this injury? Would I undo this injury if I could? It's tempting to say yes. But the people I've met, the service that has been rendered the changes that have occurred for the better, the growth that I've seen in myself and others around me. How could I? Yes, the hearing loss I have suffered is permanent. I'm grateful for a good hearing aid. My arm never may, never may be strong as it was before my injury, but it's strong enough. My memory may never be good as it was before my injury, but I remember the important things. I see the world, the world differently now. I see the beauty of it. I have gratitude. Fast forward nine fast forward nine years. Life has life has its ups and downs for all for us and all people. The year 2020, we were in the midst of a is a we were in the midst of a worldwide 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 pandemic. My wife a nurse was now working in a dedicated COVID ward. As much was still unknown, we were using many precautions. At the end of November, however, she and other coworkers tested positive for COVID-19. She isolated an, on another floor of her home, but, but about a week later, I started to develop symptoms. Because I did not have my swab test back to confirm my, my infection, and she was still in the infectious period of her own illness, she kept track of me by phone, and, we sent, and I sent her screenshots of data provided by a portable oximeter. One morning, close to the end of her isolation, I sent her the usual screenshot. And, 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 then, she, and then she said that she called an ambulance to transport me to the hospital. I basically told her that I was fine, but she wasn't taking any of that nonsense from me. I, I was, as she put it, in a happy hypoxic state. The paramedic who first responded was, was, a, was a little skeptical himself until he took on his own set of vital signs. Soon I was on my way to the hospital, and it was a happy coincidence, not only assigned to the hospital my wife worked, but also, out of many COVID units operating, I was assigned to the one she would be soon returning to. Being in the hospital again was a real jolt. I am grateful, though, for life-sustaining oxygen, antibiotics to treat COVID-induced pneumonia, and wonderful medical staff. Once my wife returned to work, she was assigned to work on the opposite team from the one side that I was on. I was lucky that I could see her from a distance because at this time, no, no visitors were allowed. I knew that I had better do my, be doing my treatments and physio when she was watching me from the other side of the, of the union. Almost two weeks in, in the hospital, After two weeks, after almost two weeks in the hospital, I was released. However, Just as I I have some permanent defects from my brain injury, I also suffered, unfortunately, I have some permanent injuries to my lungs. My wife didn't let me lounge around. Also, I could scarcely walk around, around the block without shortness of breath. She had me doing what I could and then gradually increased the distance. Unfortunately, my career had to come to an end. But the things I have learned from my first hospitalization I had to set new goals in my life and make it meaningful. After after the initial pandemic isolation that we experienced from family, spending time with our daughters, son-in-law, granddaughter, and especially the joy, it brought a lot of joy to me and my wife. Even though life has been impacted once again, I feel the lessons I've learned previously helped me to navigate this new chapter. I can look at life with optimism and hopefulness. I thank God regularly for my amazing wife of 36 years. She has shown me so much love and support. She has been my rock. I have been served with many people over over the years, but in my eyes, she is my hero. And that's how I feel. This has been my experience, and it's changed my life in many ways.
0: Craig, that was just that was terrific, and. Um, thank you for your courage to share your story of this traumatic brain injury, um, finding hope and healing, um, surviving COVID, that well-deserved shout-out to your wife, Jody, 36 years of marriage. This is a beautiful family love story. Um, I love, you know, sometimes I don't know anything about your road. I've never had a serious medical um, incident in my life. Um, But I recognize you've survived, why some people don't, but life's different for you. It's not like you came back 100%. Um, You're pretty honest with your hearing loss, with your memory. Um, You've had to give up your career, but you seem to have all this gratitude and kindness and focus on the family and just sort of been able to accept the realities of your life, even though it's very different than what you thought it would be (laughs) at this point in your life. What would you say, you know, you've been roughly 10 years removed from this, and you may have had some really dark days at the beginning when you became aware um, once you sort of, you know, started to get your mind back and be able to talk? I don't know if those were dark days, but what would you say to people? What would you say to your younger self? Sometimes I ask that question on the podcast now that you've been away from the initial experience for so long and maybe you had some real despair some dark days what would you say to yourself in those early years or it's kind of like you talking to somebody who's just earlier on a similar journey well the
1: thing is you know the big, biggest thing about it is your is my attitude i had a drive to succeed you know like when i first went to the rehab facility before i went you know back, back to work i was determined to go back to work i said look i'm a baker push wrong with my wrist? Fix my wrist. You know, in the initial uh, orientation with the doctor in the, in the rehab, uh, for, for rehab place I was at, I, my wife, I talk about my wrist all the time. I'm a baker. I hate my wrist, you know. And my wife said, be quiet. doctor's trying to estimate or assess you. And so, you know, I was just quiet, let him do his thing. And then as soon as I went in, in, into the department where I was, um, had my, had, when I was there for nine months, I said, where's the physiotherapist? My wish needs to be fixed, you know. So I had a lot of desire, and also, you know, something being a member of the church made a big difference. Being a member and having a testimony of the gospel made a big difference. It's interesting. I'll tell you this: I didn't plan on saying this, but I am. Um, right after I got out of the out of, after I got out of the rehab rehab facility, I was. Out of the hospital, I was nervous about my next trans, trans, transition I was going to into the into rehab, outpatient stuff. And as I took this sacrament, the Spirit told me, I have everything under control. And that gave me peace. And, and that confirmation said to me, the Lord is in control. He knows what's going on. And uh, when I started going to my rehab, outpatient, the people were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. You know, I worked extremely hard. I had determination. I said, I'm going to get there. And being a member of the church, I have a testimony of the gospel. And I did a lot of missionary work, too. It was really neat. I gave about, we gave about four, four or five different programs to people there. So it was fun as well. But because I worked hard and I stood out to people. And that's just me. I have drive and, and desire to accomplish. And it's a lot of is your attitude. and uh, a lot of, And I worked really hard. It was neat to see my skills come back. You know, I'm no longer a baker manager because of my brain injury, but it's neat to see my skills come back that I could what I could do before. So I was excited about that. And just feeling my hand movements and my mind be able to function again. I was excited, you know. And so, and but thing mean, is during the whole time, I went to a brain injury psychologist as well. And she said I was in a different league in a league of my own. She says it's your attitude and your desire to succeed. And also, number one, my family support was number one. My family's the best. I couldn't look for a better wife and better family because they, like I said, my wife's is my hero. I really, really sincerely mean that. Um, I just had a desire. I just had a desire to succeed. And then COVID kicked in uh, on my word. And so I had to go through another transition as well. And again, you know, I was almost in the ICU myself pretty darn close, but my wife caught me like in my presentation. I said, you know, my wife got me in the hospital just in time. And, uh, you know, I was in her ward. It was gonna kind of neat because I was well looked after. Although she couldn't touch me or anything or have anything to do with me, being family, all her friends look after me. And then I got out of the hospital, and uh, after know off twelve days, and again worked hard. And now to this day, you know, I could do short walks now. Now we're doing five, six, seven kilometer walks at times now with no problems at all. And that's because of my wife cares about me. We want to have a we want to have a life together again. I'm not going to let stop me. I want to be able to function again. And if I just let, would have sat still, I could have said, oh, I'm I'm done. Same with brain injury. But no, I have a life to live. My life has changed. Not being able to work again has been a real shock. And being in the hospital again is a shock. But I was just here nine years ago. It's actually almost nine years to the date I was in the hospital with COVID. to my brain injury.
0: Did you have a... Yeah. Did your attitude change at all? If I had... Before the brain injury, were you a positive... Um, Guy with this kind of attitude, and did that just did that part of your personality, your characteristic, just stay the same after the brain injury? Or did you have to recalibrate to actually get a better attitude because you had to um, deal with all this complicated stuff?
1: um I was always I thought I always had to struggle most of my life in education and doing things. So I was I was like to push hard to get to where I'm at. Even as a baker, I had to work really hard to become good at that. You know, I got off my mission and went into bacon school because academics were not natural for me. They just weren't. And you know, I tried to just, and so I went into a trade and worked really hard at that. So I've always had the, the pushing effect. Like when I when as a missionary in California I was a missionary in Los, Los Angeles. And I worked hard there. You know, I've always worked hard my whole entire life. A lot of it is your attitude and your desire and the goals you set. I don't know what more to say. It's just, you know, I've had a real good family and a lot of support and also personal drive. That's what kind of stood out when I was in, in, was in outpatient re, rehab station as I stood out, and I thought, this is just me. I'm not going to look for any favors or anything. It's just people knew I worked hard, and they cared about me. So I got all the support in that end, and family. It's a combination of lots of things together. But my testimony of the gospel has carried me through. I can say this part. you still have time. My testimony has grown in ways that it never could have grown any other way in my life. I really, I know that. I know the Lord had a plan for me and I didn't plan this plan, but you accept it and you make the best of it and you move forward. I'm determined to succeed. You know, COVID, on my word, I gained something else, but no, you push forward, you move forward and you make positive things about life. My granddaughter, she's the love of her life. She is just amazing. She's so much fun. My kids have been very successful. You know, my, my two kids have been successful. I have my son, he's an, he's an autism spectrum. He has challenges, a lot of challenges, which he deals with, a lot of challenges. But my daughters have done extremely well, and I'm proud of them so much. My son and I are just amazing people. So
0: it sounds people. like you've been a scrapper, Craig, um, your whole life. And that character attribute of sort of having to scrap or work really hard for the things that came to you, developed... Um, a uh, set of skills that helped you navigate this curveball with your traumatic brain injury. That once you became aware and sort of focused on your future, how did you? Some people say, Well, where is God pr- protecting me? No. um Why didn't you? You probably said your prayers that week and your wife. And some people would say, Well, where was God? Why didn't he warn me not to get on that ladder? How do you navigate that?
1: I. You know something, I've never cursed God. I've never said, why did you do this? I've never done that, not once. Not once. I just haven't. You know, I look at it as a blessing for me, the experience that I've experienced, the things that I've learned. I said that in my presentation. I've learned so much. And it was really hard for my wife. I went, my went through a lot of, it was really hard, hard, hard for my wife. You know, it was interesting. Um, when I was in the hospital, in the ICU. My mom came down from Lethbridge, which is five hours south of Edmonton. And she know, she said, you know, she goes, I can't believe how much you care, you, you care about Craig for She goes, I love him, and, and he's my husband. My wife got always smokes. I mean, not always smokes, she was just amazed, just the love my commitment and the commitment my wife has for me. So many people, a lot of people with brain injuries go through, go through divorce. 70% of people with brain injuries go through divorce. But we made those covenants. We were in the temple. We for sealed in the temple. And she's, you know, she takes her mouth very seriously. And so that means the world to me.
0: One of the things that listeners, as I get older, and I'm just a few years older than Craig, is just aware of sort of our more mortal hopes and expectations change over time. And some of those are permanent mortal changes. I think you're realizing that you're like, your mortality is permanently changed because of this. And you're just accepting that your career came to an end. You've talked about your hearing and you seem at peace with that. And I think one of the things that um, potentially gives Latter-day Saints more what, in fact, we had a training in our stake about emotional resistance, resiliency, and off—and I don't want to say that Latter-day Saints have less emotional health challenges. That's not true. But sometimes this eternal perspective and that trials help allow us to have growth and Um, obviously your eternal potential and plan hasn't changed. No. Um, and sometimes that does give hope and perspective, even if mortality has changed. Um, you know, I sent you love to bake and we could probably talk for quite a bit about the favorite things you love to Mm -hmm. bake. And, um, Craig just got a big smile on your face, but, you know, so you grieve that, but you seem to focus on your family and what you can do and this attitude. And I don't know if you can bake in the next life. I don't know if we bake in the next life, but I kind of hope to go to a bakery in heaven, Craig, and and have oh, you come on over and have you bake for me all the things that you can bake. And
1: okay, my famous thing is cream puffs. I a cream puffs with my home of custard and my toppings that are what I make I can't buy in stores. And when I was in rehab, outpatient rehab, I was there for nine months. My my uh, occupational therapist, she had me did for a cognitive project is I made cream puffs. And they went crazy because I, in I, I put a real good filling inside. And it put a top and chocolate and milk chocolate and mixture together on top. And I just made some, you know, and people went nuts. So I got, guy like I was known as the brain injured cream puff guy. That's, that's my name.
0: I love that, uh-huh. and I, I don't know how heaven works. There's a lot we don't know about the next life. But you have this gift of, of baking that you work for. You went to school, um, you're not able to do it now as a career. And I wonder just what heaven is like. i, I wouldn't want to be say I know enough about heaven to know that mm. there's no food there, no bakeries. So
1: I wondered myself, you know, like what's next life? I to myself what our next life is going to be like. Do we need food? Do we even sleep?
0: I hope oh, we God. sleep. I kind of like sleeping, but there's some principles here, you know, listeners. I think I've told you this story of um, when I was a YSA bishop, and one of our YSAs served in the military, and he knew he had, as part of his assignment with the military, had taken innocent life. It it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> criminal. It wasn't wrong. It was just the natural consequences of what happens in war and. He knew he was taking, you know, getting the bad guys, but as part of getting the bad guys, you get innocent people around the bad guys. And it's pretty torn up about this. And I didn't I didn't really know what I was going to say in this blessing. And I just and the words came to my mind that, you know, no one's eternal potential has changed because of what happened in Afghanistan is where this happened. Mm-hmm. And certainly people's mortal possibilities realities had changed there were people that were no longer alive because of that war and the agency of you know the people that just started the war that i think our american soldiers were trying to end and i think you know there's a principle there that you know you're mortal you survived this but it's changed your life and you have a great attitude and a great family and you're able to hear, share the story, but there's other people that fell off the ladder that didn't live Um, and their families are grieving them. And I, I think both of us would just say, you know, one of the things we have as Latter-day Saints is we're in the second act of a three act play. And that gives us perspective. Yeah. And um, if we have, really difficult mortal things that aren't going to be solved in mortality. Some things are sort of acute, and they're a short-term, very difficult mortal experience, but some things are chronic or forever changed. And I think that's the reality of mortality. And I'm, um, if we have kids we've lost, kids are out of the church, just different yeah. things, we could both go through a pretty long list, and some of you are living those in real life. And I think we just own our doctrine that, This is really painful. Mortality is really wounding and really painful. Yes, absolutely. And even though we kind of know that things are going to be okay in eternal perspective, it doesn't minimize the pain of mortality. Um, Your life is forever defined by the day before you went to work and the day that this accident happened. And that's the reality of your family's experiences. And a lot of people listening, have they know these dates when something incredibly tragic happened. And things are forever changed. And I i don't think we can just point to the next life as a platitude and say everything's going to be okay. I think we have to honor the pain that people feel now and sit with them in that pain. Um, but you have a really good attitude, um, which is one of your Christ like attributes, Craig. And um, your story helps a lot of people. Um, but I'm grateful as a Latter day Saint for this sort of eternal perspective that gives. Um, context for the difficult things that come in mortality and um, really good, th- bad things happen to really good people and really good things happen to people that aren't particularly good. And um, it's just sort of the random nature of an impor- imperfect immortal world where we're just subject to the realities of a mortal world. And I think our God has the ability to Keep you from falling off that ladder. But he allows the natural laws and the choices we make often to come into our lives. Either that was part of your plan to fall off the ladder or it was just part of mortality. And the test is how you responded and how your family responded. Any more thoughts on all that stuff that comes to mind?
1: I like what you're saying. I mean, like, there's questions I have. I won't, I won't discuss right now, but there's things I there, there's I won't find the answers until the, until the next life. There's some things going on in our, our our family. Some things I wonder I don't understand. How, see what the Lord says when he, the next life is. Some things you're not books on things to give you answers. I don't believe that. Some things you have to experience life and say, well, it's in the Lord's hands, and let's see what He first things because He's you know He knows all things and we don't. Sometimes I have to look at life that way as well. That's a completely different situation, but.
0: Yeah, I I like that. Um, We have a little time here. So, you know, yesterday our youngest son turned 21, and we had the chance. He loves to play golf, and we had the chance to play golf together. It was just quiet afternoon playing golf, and I thought of the peace I felt on the golf course and the lack of stress, and it was quiet, and there was no wind, and there was sun. And then I thought of Ukraine, eastern Ukraine in particular. And I thought of a 21-year-old young man there who's, if he's Ukrainian, he's probably fighting in the war. And his father, I'm 61, you know, there's a 21-year-old and a 61-year-old father. I don't know if the father's fighting in the war or too old too, but he's pretty worried about his 21-year-old son. And maybe that Russian mother is worried about her 21-year-old son fighting in the war that that Russian soldier is just doing what his country's asked him to do and doesn't have full context for what's going on. Um, But I just realized that mortality is really unfair. And my son is no more righteous or worthy or special just because he's in a safe country and able to enjoy that day. And I don't know how to reconcile all that. And we're losing a lot of 21-year-old boys and girls, women. Yeah. in different ways with worldwide conflicts. And we had a terrible shooting in Buffalo, New York, in the state side. Yeah. Um, I know. And we've had terrible shootings and terrible things happen. And Yes. Um, and I I just, I don't know how to reconcile that, except we're in act two of a three-act play, and I believe in our Savior and our heavenly parents. and And I believe that, you know, once we get to the next life and, And um, all will be okay. And all of our pains and sorrows that are real and valid will be wept up in the tears of our Savior. And we will, I think a lot of our, one of the things I've always felt is our our mortal dreams may change. Like you probably wanted to be a baker till you were 80. I think our eternal, and have your father around more, I think our eternal dreams and hopes, I don't think we should take those off the table. Even if we have family that have left the church, or um, the realities of what's become of mortality, yep. um, a child who's died in infancy and never got a chance to raise a family, all those different things, or a child that died at 21. I don't know how that works, but I think I would not want to take hope out of your hearts that every dream you have or had as a parent or as a sibling or just a human that. Maybe you should keep those dreams for eternity. and Maybe those dreams are still possible. Any more thoughts, Craig, before we close? Well,
1: like I said, this has been a real good experience for me. I didn't mean to get emotional. I, I said, you should be fine. I should be fine. But it still, even though it happened 10 years ago, it's still part of me. And as I was preparing this, um, my wife helped me with a lot. Like I had things written and she said, no, no. It needs to be this way here. So that's what wives do. They fix problems, fix things, fix things right. But uh, no, I have an amazing wife. I'm just grateful for her. And uh, I already mean she is my hero. I already mean that at the end. We have so much fun together. And again, we've experienced a lot of things, things that have been hard to with me. I think we still deal with it hard. But I mean, you just pray and do the best you can do. And you can't judge people or anything. You just love them the same.
0: Well, Craig, um, thanks for joining us. No one's come on the podcast to talk about a traumatic brain injury, um, but I have a hunch that maybe this will help somebody that's navigating difficult health issues. And um, your dear wife, Jody, you've been married 36 years. This is a beautiful family love story, supporting and loving each other. And um, thank you for your testimony to the church and just your hope and attitude and grace and um this is Craig Jones from Edmonton Alberta Canada who I've been to once right. or twice in my life and Richard Oster signing off from another episode of Listen Learn and Love